something moving through the woods. Uh, all I can remember is flipping the light on, and I see this creature, and I knew, I knew in my heart, I knew in my mind, in the whole night, this isn't a man. And then this thing walks across the road, takes a turn towards us, and then leaps over a guardrail. Went to look forward, and there was a big black thing, is all I can Squatch DTV. Exploring the Bigfoot mystery each week with your hosts, veteran researcher, author, and TV personality, the Squatch Detective, Steve Culls. And from the Bigfoot Research Project of Kentucky, Chris Bennett. Sit back and buckle up as we bring you guests from around North America discussing the Bigfoot phenomena, but not without a few laughs, too. Here are your hosts, Steve and Chris. And good evening, cyberspace. Welcome to Squatch DTV for today's date, January 17th, 2021. I'm your host, your guide, the Squatch Detective Steve Cole, along with my co-host right down there. Steve, what's happening, man? What's going on? You know, we actually had some snow Saturday. I woke up yesterday morning. There was an inch of snow on the ground. And I was like, oh, dude, it's like New York. But, you know, lunchtime, it was gone. So, And I, I, am, I am seeing something very interesting going on. Oh, there we are. Facebook just popped in. All right. I was worried that we were not broadcasting on Facebook. Right. I have not yeah. seen a Facebook comment, and they just started popping up. Walt, and of course, our guest is already here. We don't hide him backstage. We just bring him on right away. Say hello to Shane Corson. Hello, Shane. Oh, hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, anytime, my brother. Okay, so let's do the roll call. We have Quick Witty. Hello, Quick Witty. Quick Witty, welcome. And we got Lance Windsor. Good to see you, Lance. Hey, Lance. John Swan. Hello, John. Big John. M and Chris, the handsome Chris, he oh, says. Okay, yeah. Good looking and, fella there. And he's teaching the class, but he decided to pop <laughs> in anyway. Hello, Tack. Tack. Michael. Mike, welcome. Lisa, Lisa, hello. Good to see Lisa, you. Lisa, welcome. John again. John. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry. And of course, we got Walt. Happy Walt. birthday. Yeah. You know, to Walt, belated again. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. It was last week was his birthday. We wished him a happy birthday. We wish him again. Happy and of birthday. course, we got Pat. Good to see you, Pat. Pat. Terry, good to see you. Terry. And the great Edward from Big Edward. Fish, Edward Manga. Yeah. And Joe Cretelli is in. Hey, Joe. Welcome. So we got quite the, where we got the house in here. And uh, yeah, the snow is, um, how do I get that off? Uh, just do that. There we go. Because <laughs> um, it kind of, sometimes it's, things scroll so fast in here. So, uh, you we, know, we, we had snow at 7 a.m. And by lunchtime, it was gone. It was just green grass again, man. And I, I thought about you. I really did. Yeah. We got to say hello to little Walt. He's on his mom's phone. Hello, yeah. little Walt. Hi, little Walt. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, um, we were supposed to get two to six yesterday, and we ended up getting like two and a half, maybe three. So, and it was very wet, wet snow. So it was nothing. <laughs> and But, you know, you get like two inches of snow in Virginia or South Carolina or Florida, and it just closes everything. Texas yeah, closes yeah. everything. So yeah. let's get that way around here, man. I mean, used to, you know. Everybody, you know, you had snow tires put on in the winter and stuff. Now, nah, you don't need them. And nope. I think it was 2013, we got like uh, two feet, which is <laughs> ungodly for here, well, you know. And, and, and uh, Shane, you remember that, that nor'easter that hit here like a few weeks ago? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got three feet. Uh, three yeah. feet. But the amazing thing was, is the morning came. Uh, my, my plow guy, you know, my landlord's my plow guy. He shows up, you know, it, it was done. We were like, okay, you know, 20, 20 minutes, half hour later, everything's clear. The driveway's clear. They're done. Wow. Yeah. Up uh, here at, uh, on Kitsap County, Kitsap Peninsula, where I live up here in Washington, you get three feet and it shuts everything down. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, it was the most amazing thing because I saw plows, you know, that these F-150 stuck. Uh, you know, just being careless and trying to do more, and they get themselves in the in the in the ruts along the the roadways, and so. But I I was just completely amazed that that yeah you know, we we fared as well as we did. So, f winner. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. We're done. Um, you know, actually, you know what? I may have a. Let me. I I think I don't know what I did with it. Hang on a second. That's nah, gone. Never mind. I will. I was gonna say I'll show you a picture of my my winter face on, but <laughs> um, but what a what what a heck of a I mean we couldn't ask for a better guest tonight, folks. And uh, but first I want to cover some uh, uh, <laughs> class in one ear, you in the other. <laughs> All right, so uh, you know <laughs> he's just a uh, Mike. <laughs> Civil servant at work. <laughs> you know, uh, that reminds me of a joke that, that, that I say this for. You know, I live in New York, so there's always these New York State jokes. Right? So I'll give you a quick joke, a little laugh for the night. Three kids all bragging about how quick their father was. First kid gets up there, you know, my father's the fastest. He takes, he picks up a bow and arrow, shoots the, shoots the arrow, shoots the target, hits the bullseye. Other kid said, "Yeah, well, my dad's my dad's faster than you." He gets on a pitch. He gets on a baseball field, gets on the pitcher's mound, throws the pitch, runs down, grabs the bat, runs out in the outfield, catches it. <laughs> well, that's pretty fast. 
Third kid says, yeah, well, my father's got you all beat. Noon every day. So. Oh, man, it's cutting out, Steve. I missed ah. it, dude. Ah, that's what happened. Was, <laughs> so the third kid goes, you know, my, my dad works for New York State on the 7 to 3 shift, and he's home noon every day. So, little. Uh. <laughs> so, I think that's what, uh, you know, tack is got going on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, okay, boo for the joke. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, uh, there is some backlash uh, going on in uh, the crypto community, the paranormal community. It has nothing to do really with, uh, I know Expedition Bigfoot has had a few episodes. Uh, I just got a heads up to um, wake up. I'm up. Um, uh, I, gu I guess uh, there, there's some questions about Expedition Bigfoot. Three, the attack asked me. I'm going to be looking into that. That'll be for another show. I didn't have time to really do that. I was working, like I said, uh, Mike didn't know this, but I was working all day, so I get out and I got it late. So, um, so we, but there's a lot of uh, uh, backlash. All these programs going off the travel channel and going to Discovery Plus, a streaming service that you have to pay for, mm. and it's causing a backlash because people are like, hey, I pay for cable. Right. You know, now I got to pay for this to get shows. And, and I mean, Expedition Bigfoot went uh, Ghost Nation, which is the show with Jason Hawes, Steve Tango and um, uh, not, uh, Dave Tango and uh, Steve Gonzalez. Yeah. Uh, Kindred Spirit, normal show that was uh, a big favorite. The new Joe Kenda show, American Detective went to, uh, you know, the, it was supposed to be on investigation. They went to uh discovery plus um and then you have of course expedition bigfoot i don't know if uh mountain monsters is, is going that way. not entirely sure but a lot of people are up in arms and and, and, and mad about that yeah. so you know especially and a lot of the comments are like listen you're trying to squeeze out of everybody and there's a pandemic still there's still a lot of people out of yeah. work there's still a lot of people on cut hours um you know i'm just blessed my company lets us You know, oh, it's uh, the stream's locking up, Steve. Uh, uh, I have no idea what's going on. I don't either. It did it last week, too. Dang yeah. it. <sighs> so, yeah. Come on, I, stream guard. Come on, please. <laughs> I, am, I am going to uh, have to uh, um, uh, do another comment, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but this is like the second week in a row. So I'm going to have to throw them out. Uh, a message after the <coughs> change or whatever. Um, maybe it's because we're pod, we're casting the same time the Streamyard Community Show is. Uh, it might be. Um, no, my mic is not really but, cutting out. It's no, the it's, stream. it's not you. It's a stream. Yeah, it's the stream. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. I can see everybody and hear everybody unbreakable, meaning but, that the the internet is working here, and it's working at least uh, from what I have. It's not me going out. It's not my out upload speed. What it is, it's the stream itself. So, yeah. but I get what you're saying about the the cable deal and the online thing. But I, I cut the cord. It's been over a year ago now, and I, I've been better for it. I mean, <laughs> I actually have better TV now than I did on cable. And yeah, 
way cheaper, dude. I, like we were paying like 200 and some bucks for the cable wow. and it wasn't, you know, I mean, yeah, we had the HBOs and the Cinemaxes and all that crap, but you know, uh, compared to what you get now online, uh, streaming, wow, I didn't have nothing. I didn't realize yeah. what cable was. I mean, what, uh, you know, cutting the cord meant until it did. So, uh, yeah, it's um, worth it. Yeah. If you, now, you, you know, cut the cord, check it, into it. It's kind of funny because I, I have cable TV. Um, mm -hmm. I can afford it. It's not all that bad my way because yeah. it's bundled with my internet. So, yeah. uh, way less than what you were paying. Um, but the uh, the fact is, is that if I wanted to get rid of the cable, uh, I'll tell you right now, I, I get I got a free six month trial because I'm my phone's Verizon. So I have Discovery Plus for nothing right now. And I, I really like it, <laughs> you know, between, you know, and I'm thinking to myself now yeah, between uh, because what's on what what is on Discovery Plus? You got Animal Planet Travel, uh, America. Uh, America, you have discovery, you have investigation discovery, you have uh, you know, so much. America's <laughs> Secrets, is that on there? Uh, History Channel's on there too. Some of them shows you did. <laughs> and, oh, the, book, the Book of Secrets. Book of Secrets. Yeah, book of Secrets. Yeah, yeah. And then, you, you know, if you have Netflix and Amazon Prime, mm -hmm. we do without uh, network television because what I, I watch I, I watch mostly those channels. I don't sit yeah. there and watch network TV too much. It's yeah. kind of, I mean, let's face it, sitcoms, eh, they're stupid. I'm sorry. Once in a while, they're a good one, but nine times out of ten, I don't want to watch the the trials and errors of a parent with a couple of, you know, parents with a couple and, of teens, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, maybe one's a space alien and they think and Disney plus has got me, dude. I mean, I, oh, I'm yeah, I mean, your subscription too. just to watch for the next Mandalorian every time, you know, I don't care. I'll pay a year, man. It's worth it just to see the Mandalorian when it comes and, out. And, and Shane, I don't know if you're a star Wars geek, like Chris and I are, because <laughs> we are star Wars. Geek. <laughs> but they got so many shows coming on. They got the Mandalorian. They got Kenobi coming on the book of Boba Fett. Uh, there's just so there's so <laughs> many coming on, and there's a couple others. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is good. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, uh, Mandalorian is what I do watch that. I, honestly, yeah. I, I when it comes to TV, I do. I, I have cable. I just don't. Uh, I I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I, Mandalorian is one show though, because my daughter loves it. She's nine years old and loves it. And we can sit down as a family and watch it. So I do enjoy that. And I'm I, I won't. I'm not a Star Wars. Uh, aficionado but i do enjoy the star wars series i grew up with star trek and that's been always my thing i'm not oh, a yeah. trekkie but i do like star star trek uh, very enjoyable, very enjoyable series. um when they started switching all the doctors and doctor who i kind of like yeah mm. eh, <laughs> eh. but the uh years ago ah, it's on the tom baker doctor who don't get started about Doctor Who, dude. <laughs> uh oh, yeah, I think we Chris is a Doctor Who fanatic. Oh, dude, I love it. Yeah, he's a Whoian. Yeah, he's a Whoian. I, I was a Doctor Who fan until Jodie Whittaker, and I'm sorry they wanted to have a female Doctor, and that's great. But the episodes that they wrote for her to do sucked. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The the only yeah. oh no. It locked up again, Steve. Dang it. I said, I said for me, yeah. the only true Doctor Who was Tom Baker. Yeah. He was a good I one. concur. Yeah. 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 He just fit that role perfectly. But um, 
So anyway, let's get to uh, oh, Bigfoot yeah. because that's Bigfoot. what you yeah. tune in for. <laughs> um, so anyway, Shane, you know, I, I how did how did this all start for you? Oh man, uh, yeah. So I, I I'm a I was ra- born and raised in Scotland. I lived on a little island called Isla off the west coast of Scotland, and uh, my um, mother got me really interested in in paleontology. So I just was very interested in, in paleontology, dinosaurs, and then uh, got to read a few books on cryptids, uh, got involved with uh, um, everything I could get my hands on, books, TV shows, especially when it came to, you know, stuff like Loch Ness Monster, the Yeti, Mokla Membi, um, and of course, many others, including Bigfoot. And Bigfoot always really intrigued me, especially the Pacific Northwest and, and um, the West Coast of America. Had a chance, uh, you know, our, my parents, we moved to uh, the States in 1993, yeah, uh, down in San Diego. And uh, growing up, I didn't do a whole lot of camping. Any camping I did was on my own. Uh, but I really loved Southern California, so I got out camping when I could. Uh, but I didn't have my own wheels then. I was still rather young. And uh, But once again, I'm thinking, wow, I'm in California. So when I got my wheels in 97, 1997, down in San Diego, I started uh, investigating areas, uh, driving places, camping, uh, whether it was Palomar Mountain uh, or the San Bernardinos, um, Alpine, where the Zubies are from, um, and also uh, Yosemite. Eventually, I made it up to Yosemite. And I fell in love with Northern California. And that wow, there's Sasquatch out there. This is where it's going to be. And I, uh, over the years, uh, I, I, I interviewed a lot of interesting people, heard a lot of interesting tales, stories. I just never really found anything of interest. Not that I knew exactly what I was looking for, and not that I knew exactly what I was doing. What I did become familiar with was known animals: bear, cougar, deer, elk. You name it. I. Got, I try to make myself really familiar with those, um, both with track finds and, and audio. Uh, not that I was recording audio at that time, but really listening and That's doing smart. a lot of yeah, doing a lot of remote backpacking. Well, met my wife and we moved up to. She's from Oregon, so I had a chance in 2008 to move to Oregon, and I thought, oh man, here we go. I'm in I'm in the mecca of Bigfoot world, and once again, I'm just out camping. Any chance I could get camping, exploring. Uh, from 2008 to 2011, I maybe found a, an interesting impression. I really didn't find a whole lot, um, but still thought there was something to it because I was still interviewing people and meeting people and talking with people. Uh, 2011, Mount Hood, I had a two-night experience, a two-night encounter, uh, which solidified the existence of Sasquatch for me. Uh, I wasn't doing anything Bigfoot. It was a fishing trip. And uh, for a couple months after that, I thought, shoot, I know where these things are at. I'm going to prove this. I just need this. I need you know equipment, all right, you name it. I thought I needed it, but I could prove it. And I was proven wrong <laughs> on many fronts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, being a bit of a smart ass, I thought I could do it, you know, like everybody else. And uh, what that really solidified with me is that I, this isn't a one man show per se. Uh, it, it, you know, takes a, a village to raise, you know, a child. Well, uh, this is something you need to, I need to reach out to other individuals. And eventually I met up with uh, a friend of Cliff Berkman's who eventually introduced me to Cliff. And I met Derek Randall's shortly thereafter, 2012. Uh, and eventually joined the Olympic project and became good friends with a lot of these guys and I've been running ever since. But, but basically that's in a nutshell, what got me into this. Uh, it's just a fascination with, uh, these, these, uh, these cryptids well, in general, but Sasquatch specifically. Very cool. Have you ever got to, you ever got to see a grizzly bear in the wild? I have not. No, I, I Alaska's on my <laughs> radar and, uh, yeah. I've been all through Montana and yeah. uh, Idaho and, I've not seen one. Uh, I have seen tracks, but I've never seen a grizzly yeah. bear in the wild other than, yeah. you know, like a zoo. 
<laughs> well, I would kind of like to see one in the wild, but then again, you know, another part of me doesn't want to see one in the wild. You so, know? I hear you. <laughs> so I, I got, I got to ask Shane because, you know, um, 10 years ago, next month, I was, uh, I, I spent nine days in Scotland down in Inverness. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I know. Inverness uh, oh my God. Has that been 10 years, Steve? In 10 years since I did the shoot. Oh. Yeah, it actually took, uh, like nine months to air, but it took, uh, in February, mid-February 2011, I, they flew me out to Scotland, nine days, headed up a, uh, a, a search on Loch Ness, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it was something out of my uh, comfort zone, which, uh, you know, made me even, you know, more headstrong on it. <clears throat> but I got to ask, you came over here in 93. How old were you at the time? 13. 13. So did it take a while for you to, to, uh, get the American accent down or. Oh man, I'll tell you. So my dad's still, he's got a thick accent. Um, my mom's American. That's why we can move here. She was, oh, okay, a long, that's a whole nother story. But, uh, my dad still has a thick accent. Even my wife has a hard, hard time at times understanding him. I, so, uh, this was the tail end, uh, let's see, was it eighth grade. I, I, I when I got here was, uh, I remember going to school and I stood out like a sore thumb. I wasn't wearing the right clothes back then. People were wearing their pants backwards, like crisscross. If you remember that style? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I thought, why is that guy zipper on his butt? I, I didn't get it. Uh, you know, and his, his pockets are in the front and they're wearing red pants and yellow pants. And I just, I didn't get it. And, um, I was wearing everything but that. So I was, uh, first of all, the main reason I lost my accent, the girls loved it. Oh, you know, all the girls loved me to hear, hear me talk, but the guys hated me. And I was constantly getting into fights constantly. And I don't back down. And so it's just constantly, you know, fist bites. Um, I really wanted to fit in. So I made an effort to talk like an American <laughs> as much yeah. as I could. And uh, it was a tough, uh, that first year. And also the heat. It was, uh, when we yeah. got over here, it was night. Um, this is, um, we lived in uh, Ramona, uh, East County, San Diego. And it was, oh man, it was 95 degrees. And I'm used to like 70, 60, 80, if it's really warm. And you that's know, it, you know that's all in one day in in Scotland. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly. But yeah, so um, I, I just I was I was having a hard time here. I, I love the area and all, but uh, but what I really want to do is I really wanted to fit in. So I I I, I made some friends and uh, and uh, just wanted to fit in. So I lost it as quick as I could, even though the girls liked it. I was sick of just you know, washing my back all the time and getting in these yeah. fights. And I, yeah, that's, that's mainly <laughs> took a, took a good uh, two years. You know, it, it's, it's true. Kids are cruel. <laughs> Kids are cruel. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. But uh, I, I survived. Uh, yeah. I, I remember hitting London, you know, cause I, I flew into uh, uh, Gatswick and uh, then I was going to take that great airline called JetBlue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and or JetBlue or what's the other one? Not JetBlue. Virgin, um, maybe. No, no, uh, Easy Air or something like that. It's it runs in the Scot it runs in the uh, Scotland quite a bit. Um, but uh, it wasn't JetBlue. It was uh, well anyway. I so I had like a, a two hour layover at Gatwick, maybe a two and a half hour layover, and it awe struck me because hey, there's there's cops and they're walking around with submachine guns. <laughs> that was the first thing. I like, well, okay, that's interesting. Cool. And, and then I'm walking around and then I see, and this is Gaddafi days, mind you. This was like the final days uh, of Gaddafi. And I remember walking past and it was like Air Libya, the, the Air Libya terminal. I'm like, 
what the hell? <laughs> you know, it was like, and, you know, and you see the folks getting on there. I'm like, wow, that's pretty exotic. What the hell? <laughs> so it was complete culture shock. So I, I got my money exchanged, which they had a machine to do that. So that was cool. Um, I said, all right, I got to get a coffee. I get a coffee. And automatically it starts, you know, the, the difference in language starts instead of thank you, it's cheers. And, you know, <laughs> And, and, you know, the, at first I'm trying to get used to the dialect because, you know, somebody rattles off something fast. You're like, huh? What? <laughs> oh, okay. and then you go to Scotland. And it's like, it's like a whole nother dialect. Completely different. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but the one thing I love is one thing I loved is everybody had a great sense of humor there and they were, they were kind of really laid back considering what you would expect. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, I remember, <laughs> so I, I land in Inver Inverness, and my itinerary says, yes, we'll be meeting your driver. He will be driving a car I never friggin' heard of. <laughs> like, like a ladder. Uh, it's like they have all these cars by different names. I'm like, Vauxhall I'm, or something. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, the driver was standing there with my name on a card. I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. Hello. So... <laughs> But, uh, you know, and the, one of the funniest things I ever heard was we were down at the dock for the second day and we had the we had this uh, the puff and dive team down. They were really excellent divers. And the uh, the head of the puff and dive team is this old uh, Royal Navy guy, Royal Navy diver. And, um, you know, I'm standing here with him. I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't notice those sheep up there on the hill on the other side of the road. And he just goes, hi, <laughs> ah, sheep. A fine animal and a fine companion. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yep. and and um, and then and then we had dinner one day. Uh, we, we we all had over to dinner, and of course the director Mike, he's from England, so he's got the England, and he so uh, and the, and finally the, the other guy's name was Mike too. He's like, and I could not believe. So kids, please plug your ears. That's why we don't rate this kid show for kids, but. <laughs> So, uh, you know, Mike's trying to get a feel for him as we're eating dinner before we go out the next night, day. And, um, you know, he had a female diver on the team. So, but this is how, this is why it's really like you would not say this thing in the United States because it would get you in trouble. But over there, it's completely different. Um, and he was like, so uh, he's, Mike goes to uh, the diver. So, uh, Mike, what, what do you usually, you know, what, what's your special diving? You know, do you have any specialties? He goes, without saying, yeah, mainly muff. <laughs> and he just, well, uh, and, and everybody, you know, bust, bursts out and laughing, including the girls sitting there. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> we were getting our ass burned for this kind of talk in the United States. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, a stubborn bunch, but definitely have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. But 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 it was an experience of a lifetime. Uh, I did try the haggis. Oh, so. good on you! And I, I didn't mind it. I liked it. I I actually what I fell in love with there is black pudding. Oh yeah, that's a staple. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good God! But anyway, so I, I just wanted to <laughs> relay my experiences and just the the culture. Although it did take me about four or five days when I went, hey Mike. What the hell is a lorry? <laughs> oh, a truck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because for the people who don't know, you know, uh, you know, there are some major language differences. Like you know, it'll say no lorries. What the hell is a lorry? It's a truck. You know, not a pickup truck. That they call a truck. 
but yeah. any kind of box truck or tractor trailer, that's a lorry. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Oh yeah. You uh -oh. gotta be up on up on uh -oh. your uh, some more, lingo. Some more, uh, uh Timmy Boy, thank you for that comment and welcome Timmy Boy. Uh hey, Alan is in the house. <laughs> Jimmy <laughs> is in the house. Jimmy, welcome. And Amy is like Shane Who? <laughs> oh. Amy, you you uh, bite your tongue. <laughs> now come on, Amy. You can come on to your show and say Amy who? Next time. Next time. <laughs> next time. Oh, good to have you here, Amy. Anyway. Yes, hey, welcome, welcome. And of course, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie Montan's here. Welcome. So, so uh anyhow, so you mentioned uh in, in, in Quick Witty, I remember your question. I'm gonna get to it. But you mentioned you had like a two-day experience uh, yeah. out, on, on a fishing trip, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Enlighten us. We want to hear about that. Yeah. So uh, I was um, working down in Portland and I had a couple of buddies. Uh, one was kind of into Sasquatch. His girlfriend had, had a sighting years back. Um, the other buddy of mine, Ian, he's from Boston. He had no business being in the woods, but he wanted to go. He liked to fish. So we, we chose this area in Mount Hood because it was remote. It was a backpacking trip. Uh, with about seven different lakes. And so we drive out to Mount Hood uh, just for a fishing trip, a, a, a three to four day trip. We weren't really sure. Maybe we'll do three days. Maybe we'll do four days. We prepared for anything and we take out out there. We get to, uh, we uh, get on this logging road, drive five miles, make it to the trailhead, get down to, uh, you know, after hiking in uh, a little ways, we get down into uh, the lake we're going to be camping in. And we had enough, we had quite a bit of, you know, early morning. So we decided to go find one of these other lakes where we were going to fish, uh, which was uh, about two, two and a half miles away. Well, uh, we uh, went up this ridge and got lost. Uh, we got completely turned around, um, dummies on our part. And we ended up getting off trail. We hiked a, a toll that day, about 17 miles, uh, which up in that those areas it's, it's a lot <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> i mean just turned around and we we're basically pulling straws on which way to go and eventually i i you know i told these guys we're gonna go this direction and fortunately we did make it to the the lake we were looking for um by by that time it's getting dark and we have we did find the trail so it was an easy trek back but it's a long trek back so we're like let's head back to camp we know the trail we'll come back here tomorrow and fish it mm. make it back to camp we uh set up a fire uh, cook a meal, talk for a while and head to bed about 1130 in the evening. We had three separate tents. We're camping right next to this lake. And just above us is a little bit of a, a hill, um, to incline. So we're kind of in this little flat gully area next to the lake, uh, around one in the morning. Um, I started hearing what sounds like, uh, rocks being clanked together. It's just this weird, you know, and it's getting closer and closer and closer. My buddy Mitch, who's off to my left, closest to the lake says, uh, Shane, you awake there? Do you hear that? And I said, yeah, I'm awake. And so what is it? I said, I don't know. It sounds like rocks. And so we're listening, we're listening and it gets closer and closer and it stops. And then we start hearing movement around our camp, but you know, uh, quite a few yards away, but you could hear it snapping branches or walking and couldn't really tell what it was. We're listening for a while. And I, I you know, maybe we possibly heard a percussive sound like a knock or something. I wasn't really sure. But, uh, so anyways, uh, we're listening to that for a couple of minutes. My buddy Ian's snoring off. He doesn't hear any of this. And then we hear that sound start up again and it, it, it takes off whatever it was at that time. It took off and that was it. And we went to bed next morning. We wake up, 
we're getting ready to go find some of these other lakes to go fishing and we're talking about it and we're trying to really rationalize it was it elk you know could have been antlers could it you know this deer yeah. really no idea um we figured, felt it was bigger than a raccoon or something like that something of that it was it sounded big especially the movement is what caught us off guard yeah well um uh, we uh we we go out we we hike around we we fish two two other lakes that day catch our fish had a great day out hiking exploring make it back to our camp and the same sort of setup uh, we uh, build a fire and my buddy ian he was definitely afraid of bears when we got lost the day prior he literally had a pot and pan with him and he would smack the pot and pan together because he's afraid of bears and mm. we it was so annoying we told him to knock it off we were all armed i loaned him a, a, a nine millimeter which i'll get into later why that was a really dumb idea um but uh we get you know we get lost where he's banging these pots we're seeing bear sign but we never saw a bear and up here you know there's lots of bear this is loads of bear so we told him to knock it off well uh that night so both nights that we were there the, the second night you know he, he's building up a huge fire again and i said you know please don't burn down the forest uh, though it's pretty hard in the pacific northwest because it's so wet but he's building this huge fire and we go to bed about 11 30 he's just throwing his stuff on there um and we go back we go to bed uh, about 11 30 again and sure sure enough about 1 32 in the morning here comes that sound again and it's coming from a distance and it's getting closer and closer and closer hmm. and my buddy mitch again hey shane you wake i said yeah he said it's back i'm like yeah and it's getting closer and closer and once again that that rock clanking sound stops but this time we hear movement and it's a lot louder than the night before it's crashing it's i couldn't tell if it was smashing branches off of trees or just crunching them on the ground it sounded like a bit of both and Mitch is hearing something off to his left. I'm hearing something off to my right. And we're kind of in like a triangular shaped uh, formation. His yeah. tent's here. I'm kind of in the middle and Ian's on the outskirts. We're a few feet apart. And he's hearing some off to the left. I'm hearing some off to the right. So I'm thinking, well, there could be two or whatever the heck this is. And uh, that crashing stops. And then five of the most powerful, I mean, it's still, I've never felt or heard anything quite like this. And I've heard some, something similar, but not quite like this. Five of the most powerful uh, I guess you call them power knocks on a tree. Just bam, in a row. Bam, bam, bam. And you could feel them in your tent. You could literally feel the vibration in right. your tent. They were so powerful and very close. Yeah. And my heart now, because we're we're in we're in the middle of the woods. We're we're out there a ways, and I'm dealing with something unknown. And it's powerful. I knew it was powerful. And my head starts, the wheels start burning. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. My heart is in my head, and um. Never heard any vocals. If there was, probably because my I could, I could only hear the beating of my heart. Well, after that, it stops. Those five whacks, and there's a bit of silence. And it's just, you got the woods up there, and Amy Amy Boo's been out there before, and she knows. It, it is deathly quiet at night. It, it, so we're listening. There's just nothing. My buddy Ian is finally awake. He's like, you know, expletive, expletive, expletive. What is going on? I said, shut up, shut up, shut up. So we're listening, and then uh, over through the trees, I hear something coming down. And it's hitting branches, hitting branches, and then thud right next to my buddy Mitch's tan. He's closest to the lake. There's a little bit of mud out there. And we both knew what it was. He goes, you know what that was? I said, that was a freaking rock, something. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, okay, you got to be freaking kidding me. Uh, this is really happening. I mean, really happening. And um, I mean, it was, just, it was just gnarly. As that rock comes down in, my buddy Eno here is freaking out. I gave him earlier uh, to calm him down. And not that a nine millimeter is going to do anything to a bear. Um, we were packing heavier calibers, but I, I, th I thought he's going to come out of the tent, and start shooting somebody or shooting something. And, and he had no business holding a gun. He had no training. 
And I'm thinking, I hope he doesn't have one locked and loaded. So I told him, calm down, I'm coming over. So I'm unzipping my tent and I'm looking around and um, I, I'm just peering around and, and right in front of me, 40 feet away or so, I see uh, something swaying. And what I see is an arm around this huge Douglas fir, huge pine tree. And I see an arm around the front of this tree and the hand and it's running up. I see the shoulder and I see this thing swaying back and forth just back and forth and it's massive. And I'm thinking it's looking right at me and I'm like, Oh, I'm, Oh, this, okay. I'm dead. Um, but what it did was I think either, it either saw me probably both or heard me unzip the zipper, even though I tried to do it as quietly as I could. I don't think it was quite <laughs> enough. And what it did was it took its arm off, dropped it down to its hip. It did this little spin move and went down the trail and disappeared. And that was it. Wow. And so I, uh, I sat there for a few seconds. I zipped my tent back up. And I laid down and none of us spoke after that for till, till daylight. And as soon as daylight hit, we, we packed up and got the heck out of there mm. as quick as we could really didn't talk about it on the way home a little bit here and there, but, uh, I didn't, I didn't even share with them, um, until later what I had seen. Uh, I was just so dumbstruck. I, I you know, we're on it here. I'm into the subject matter. I've been in, in, and we're on a fishing trip. We weren't doing any calls, any, you know, we're chopping wood, stuff like that. And I was just absolutely floored. And, and in some aspects, petrified um, in a lot of ways. And um, long yeah. story short, uh, like I said earlier, I thought I could prove the existence of this. And I really started thinking, why? Why two, You don't hear of two night encounters very often. It's very rare. And I thought, why? And the only thing I can come up with all these years um, is that, and I've been back out there and had nothing happen, but I've been out back out there and had some significant stuff happen. But all I can think of is that we got lost way up on this ridge line, and it's it's a ways up. It's a hike. And we were way off trail and probably uh, the Sasquatch or Sasquatches. I don't know. I only saw the one. I assume there was more than one based on what we we're hearing, but we just disturbed something and, and we were way off trail up on this ridge line that overlooked the lake we were camping on. And it came down twice and said, you know, get out. And then we didn't leave the first night. So it, it yeah. upped the ante and said, get out, you know, and banging the tree, throwing the rock. Uh, it could have hit. I mean, that rock was a good softball size rock. It could have hit I me. Mean, he could have nailed. I don't know how, how it missed the tents to begin with. Um, very accurate. And, uh, just, I, I think we just disturbed it banging pots up there on this ridge line, you know, urinating, walking around being loud and obnoxious. Yeah. Just like, so, get out of here. So my question would be is when you, were you guys all sleeping when you started hearing this rock lacking or are you guys just hanging out? I'm sure, uh, the rock, oh, we were, I'm sure we were sawing logs. Yeah, we were all asleep. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, to me that makes a lot of sense because what I think that may be is, you know, they're coming upon the scene. They see the tents, obviously, and now they're not sure if people are in the tents, so they start trying these little things to provoke movement: mm. a rock throw, some clacking, maybe a tree knock or two, mm -hmm. um, and, and that way they can say, "Okay, there's movement," so we can't move in because I think. Uh, I go back to this Navajo story where these guys left their camp and their camp was ransacked afterwards. And there was all the, you know, there was tracks all over the place. And that came from a Navajo ranger, forest ranger. Uh, he had to go up there to get the stuff and he, they didn't mention the tracks to him, but the rangers saw them. So, yeah. um, and they're very, they're more, a lot more open on the Navajo res than they are like in the, in the United States forest service. So a mm -hmm. um, bunch of questions uh, coming up. Uh, and uh, Mick, uh, before we go, Mick wanted to say Happy Meatloaf Day. <laughs> Good to see Shane tonight. Um, 
So here's a, a couple of questions. Tack wanted to know, during the fish trip, did you smell anything uh, off during the encounter? No, no, never, never did. Uh, it, it, you know, definitely did not smell anything weird. Uh, you know, that was one of those things I had to go back and recollect. Uh, but definitely none of us, uh, not not one of us smelt anything off or weird. Not even when we were up on that ridge line. Like I said, we saw a lot of bear sign up there. Um, and maybe some of it wasn't bear sign. I don't know, but a lot of it was definitely bear sign, but we never smelt anything. And like I said before, if, if there was any grunts or vocals, like I wasn't putting audio out, this was a fishing trip. So if there was any grunts or vocals, uh, I never heard anything. Because I do see, and what I like is the progression of everything. You hear this like rock clacking and, and some, somebody on the skeptical side, well, do you know, you do know bears do smack their their lips a bit when they, especially when they get a little stressed they start that mm -hmm. that, that type of uh, movement and that's a, a sign of stress uh but then you add into you know it's getting you know the tree knocks and not just oh. one tree knock but like five. Oh yeah and and what i've learned and i know if you agree or disagree with me on this but the single tree knock which a lot of people hear sometimes you have to discount them because especially in the winter time um I, I was going out to my car right out here and i heard the loudest tree knock you could ever ever hear and what it is is the cold and heat makes mm -hmm. that tree expand so they pop they, they when they expand they pop and it was yeah. getting warmer so uh oh, i totally agree yeah totally yeah. agree um so it's kind of like but when you hear like you know a number in a row then you know hey this isn't a tree expanding. When you were church, you know, get tipped over. That isn't a tree expanding. Right. Yeah. We get a lot of that up here in, <coughs> in the uh, Pacific Northwest. A lot of pop sounds like that, like the singular ones. And of course up here, you're, right. I don't care how far away. Someone's always blasting off a gunshot. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, when you, when you can, um, when, when they're that close in that number and you can feel them in your tent, uh, it's pretty profound. And like you said, Steve, the singular ones, a lot of times you just have to, you just have to toss them out the window. Um, it could be sure. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, the forest just like animals can make a lot of weird sounds. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Well, Shane, the one you saw at, that night, can you remember was the, was his arm around the front of the tree or was around the back was around the front? It was, yeah, it was standing behind the tree with its yeah. arm around the front of the tree. Yeah. And I'm this, I'm this, this, uh, this, um, Doug, for it was, it's a huge tree, yeah. And I could <laughs> roughly tell you, I didn't get a whole lot of you, but I could tell you roughly how tall it was because there was a branch, uh, right above its head, yeah, uh, which was about uh, seven and a half feet off the ground. And I remember looking at that branch where its head when it was swaying back and forth, and it would yeah. bump it. And so, uh, it had to be at least seven, seven and a half feet tall. Perfect, that's why I always try to remind everybody if you see one near a tree, don't pay so much attention to the creature, look up and see the first <laughs> branch. Yeah, <laughs> and see, try to remember how much distance that was between the top of his head and that branch. You can oh, go yeah. back. You can go back later and measure that branch. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest with you. That was just one of those. Pure, it, it just happened. I, I probably wouldn't have noticed it, but it yeah. it it would knock it and it would move the tree branch. So yeah. that's one reason I knew the, uh, so, somewhat of a scale um, yeah. behind that tree. Uh, having gone back there later on, there was it was uh, I, and it could have been there before. I don't know, but it it was dug out like you know a bear would do looking for grubs. So behind that tree was dug out quite a bit. Um, I don't know that play. There wasn't any impressions. Um, it's really hard ground, but you do have 
the reason we felt the the, the knocks, no doubt about it, is because up there in the, especially up in Mount Hood and a lot of these sports up here, you got such a root system that it's almost like hollow ground. So like you can come down a trail and you could hear somebody coming because it'll it'll kind of make that you kind of feel and you can kind of hear that hollow sound to it. So that's right. part of the reason we felt those knocks because it just reverberated right through the ground. Around Mount Hood, there's a lot of it, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it a lot of mossy growth on the in the the wilt the woods? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Old man's beard. Uh, yeah. Lots and lots of moss. I mean, it's not, I'm up in Washington now you get up here and you're in a rainforest uh, down yeah. there, but there's still a lot of moss down there and very, very wet. So we have a question up here uh, from Mick. Uh, he said, Shane, did you get the impression that there were more than one creature in the vicinity? If so, how many would you guess? And did they come from the same direction? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, um, so, well, I stated before my, our my buddy Mitch and I we we perceived at that that night the second night specifically that there was more than one because he was hearing moving off crashing to his left and I'm hearing something off to my right and you gotta stand these it was at times really close 30 40 feet maybe closer um so we, our, my opinion is there was at least two uh, I could be wrong I said I only saw the one but my impression was there was at least two and both nights um uh, at least what I had heard in Mitch, uh, was that it would come from the same, or at least the one came from the same direction because the rock, that rock clanking sound. And I, and like I say rock clanking, I don't know for sure. I didn't see a Sasquatch with two rocks in his hand, but it sounded like you grab two, um, you know, Creek pebbles and, or, and, and bash that perfect. Right. You know? And so, uh, but same direction, both nights in a row. And it would start, it, that was like the crescendo or it start out, but you'd hear it coming and it'd get closer. Like it was walking, doing that as it's going. That was my impression. Do, do close and then stop. And, uh, so yeah, more than one, I, I assume. And, and real quick. So my dummy, uh, I didn't do any research on this area. This wasn't an area that was on my radar for looking into. This was a totally new area to me, but having gone back and looked at this area historically for reports, I was blown away. I was in a, such a great location. Oh, wow. Um, this is an area that, um, Joe Bielhart, who wrote Oregon Bigfoot Highway. This was one of his old stomping grounds. Uh, Tom Powell, um, even Cliff Berrickman. I had no idea. Not necessarily the lake I was at, but the general vicinity. And I didn't find a whole lot of reports, like say on the BFRO or any other ones. What I had done, and this took me about a good six months. I just, I started looking everywhere. I found reports in hammock forums. I found reports in AR-15, you know, gun forums about people going out to fishing forums, nothing Bigfoot related, but people saying, Hey, I, I saw this there. I, I, we got chased out or we had rocks. Some crazy bear was throwing a rock at us. Same lake, same area. And I had no idea. You know, you know, when the guest has got the audience captured because the chat has been silent. <laughs> yeah. You got people maybe, on the edge of their seat. Put them to sleep. <laughs> no, um, so there are a couple of questions. Uh, so Cal Squatch. Uh, ask Shane about the nest. So what nest? Ah, okay, I <laughs> not kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, one of the most exciting things I think uh, the Olympic Project as a whole has been working on the last, since 2016 are these uh, really really strange uh, ground nests um, that a, a a timber surveyor, a logger timber surveyor, came across in 2016. Got a hold of Derek Randall's because ten years prior, Derek Randall's as a landscaper had done work for this guy. And he took Derek Randall's, James Milling of the Olympic Project out to this area. 
and um, a, a couple of DNR guys, Department of Natural Resources, and one of the the logging owners of this uh, private timber company. And um, this this surveyor that went out to this area, he'd been do, you know surveying spots by himself in remote areas for 27 years, and he had never come across anything like what he came across in this area. That is. Uh, two and a half miles behind a logging gate and way off trail. Um, and it had been logged in 50 plus years. Uh, so they're getting ready to basically put in a cut uh, market and, and cut it. And he came across two of these nests and he freaked out. And that's when he got a hold of the, the you know, Derek and James and uh, the DNR guys and his, and his boss. And they all go out there again. And that day they found seven more, I mean, total of seven nests. And all of them in over 200 years of woods experience combined, none of them had ever seen anything like these ground nests that were anywhere from three to four feet across to um, eight and a half, nine feet across. Um, and they were in a, like a kind of a, a V formation. And basically mm. this area is just, it's um, you got this ridge line and you got these, these uh, plateaus or fingers that come down this ridge line. So if you're, if you're looking at your, your, uh, your knuckles and you extend your fingers, uh, the ridge line would be your knuckles. And then you got these fingers that come out and they're, they're out, you know, separated by 300 yards or so, maybe a little bit less in some cases, a couple hundred yards. Um, and these nests are built on the edge of these fingers or these plateaus <laughs> and, and, and right below that is a seasonal salmon Creek that literally at certain times of year, you can walk across a salmon. That's how much salmon gets stocked up in here that are spawning out. Wow. And so, um, these nests are just, they're, to me, they're still, uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, the point nest as I call it, the nest that was at the very point in this B formation, um, there was two rocks sitting above the ground and they had obvious score marks on them. James Milling walked over, picked them up and he turns them over and on both sides of the rock, there's clear uh, white marks where something had smacked these rocks together at some point right. in time. Uh, these nests, we, we, we brought in uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum out and we deconstructed a couple of nests to take samples. And Dr. Meldrum had noticed that the huckleberry boughs, and uh, I, I should backtrack a little bit. These nests are completely made out of huckleberry, evergreen huckleberry boughs. Um, that uh, are some of them have been taken off a foot off the ground, some of them over eight and a half feet off the ground. No claw marks, no teeth marks, mm -hmm. as Dr. Meldrum will tell you, Dr. Meldrum will tell you, and myself and many others. This took something with a th opposable thumb. They're, yeah. they're clean breaks. Some are just twisted, some are ripped off, but they were transported not just in that general area, but some of these boughs came from over 20, 25 feet away to construct yeah. this nest. Yeah. And Dr. Meldrum had noticed when we deconstructed one that some of these huckleberry boughs were actually pushed into the ground. And then the nest was formulated and weaved around that. And one of the mm. other things I noticed, uh, I mean, besides that, these nests are over a foot in depth of huckleberry and very comfy, very mattressy and completely made out of huckleberry. We noticed that there was little piles of huckleberry leaves, like they were plucked off and piled. For what purpose? I got a couple ideas, but I don't know. And then some of the, one of the most interesting things I thought was that not uh, all the huckleberry in this little area, you go, you, you go outside this area, you couldn't see these nests. You have to literally walk in on them. But all the yeah. leaves have been plucked off these huckleberry uh, vines. And and uh, so in some cases, the huckleberry was not broken, but twisted behind something. And what that gave you was direct view of the next nest over. So it was just like, I can't see that nest. I'm going to move this branch. And yeah. it would be twisted and pushed behind something so that you could get, especially some of the smaller uh, uh, nests that needed direct view. Say, you know, hypothesizing throwing spitball in here say it was a family unit of sasquatch just for example and you have little ones well you know like you know being a, a father or mother you always want to have uh, eyesight of your kids right so that would be perfect to twist a branch behind something and you know and do that now 
these nests, uh, Derek Randall's had done a lot of research after coming across these nests. And the closest thing we've come up with is they look so identical to, uh, they look like a giant bird's nest, but very, very reminiscent of what gorillas do in the wild. And in fact, we've had a couple of zoologists out there that are part of our uh, Project Zoo book group with Amy Boo. And, and they were just, they were blown away, flabbergasted, and they worked directly with uh, different primates, including, you know, great apes, uh, gorillas, um, bonobos, chimps, and all that. And they could actually see character in some of these nests on how they were constructed. Like they were individually made by different entities. I thought that was fascinating. And this area historically has got a lot of reports. It's got a lot of reports. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, really neat audio recordings. And um, to date, we have found 24 nests. Now for four years after the discovery, it, we, we, we would go to like the next uh, finger over and we would find some more nests there and more nests on the next one. Um, and we found up until then about 23. And two of these nests are actually built in the huckleberry uh, so they're off the ground. They're very small and they're actually built into the huckleberry bushes a couple feet off the ground, but they're, they, they're a mirror image of what's built on the ground. And once again, not saying we have a, a silverback gorilla roaming up here in the woods, but uh, that's what gorillas, uh, female gorillas do. Uh, mother gorillas do teach their young to build nests in bushes. And I thought that was fascinating because you have a, a, one of these huckleberry nests, but in a bush won't hold any weight. It's very, very practice like. Um, and so we, we, for four years, we were adamant that we we're going to find more. Uh, we, like I said, we found 23 over that year and a half searching this area out. We found impressions, you know, and casted them and, and all that good stuff, doing audio recording. We haven't, we didn't find another, uh, you know, brand new nest site or anything until February of this year or last year, excuse me, February of last year, Todd Hale and I were out in an adjacent ravine, um, in pretty remote area. And we walked in on something during our camping trip, uh, making one of these nests. Literally, uh, we didn't see it, but we heard it. It was very large. It sounded by pedal. It actually circled up behind us, kind of freaked me out. Uh, Cause bears out here, I, we bump into bears all the time. And bears almost 10 times out of 10 will just take off, run, boom, gone. This, whatever this was, uh, as we get down into this area, and a different, you know, this is a couple of thousand feet away. It circled up behind us. And so we backtracked out, never saw it, decided to go back in and see where this thing originally was. Cause we heard this thing down on this, uh, this other finger. And sure enough, I start seeing all these huckleberry breaks like we would see in the other nest sites. And I went, wow. And you could see a, a trail where someone's been walking around very heavy, like, and I told Todd, you know, it's getting dark. We got to go set up our camp still. Let's head back. We'll get Derek out here. You know, he's got to drive to get out here, but we'll get a hold of him. So next day, uh, get a hold of Derek Randall's. His wife comes out, Todd and I are out there and we go out to this area and sure enough, sure enough, here's this huge huckleberry pile that's starting to be formed into a nest and there's foot impressions. And so we're just blown away and we're, we're going to have Dr. Melton come out. We, you know, we had, we could see hair, we had all these samples and then COVID hit and we decided, <laughs> we, yeah, it destroyed, it really destroyed a lot of this, but, um, Meldrum, we told him not to come out. So what we end up doing was I got a hold of Cliff Berrickman, a good friend of ours. He lives down the road. So he came up and he helped us cast uh, some foot impression stuff. But what was really neat, hold on so I can find it. Hold on. Oh, show and tell. Love it. <laughs> so we actually casted some hand impressions found out in this area by James Million, which oh. um, it, it's really funny because uh, you probably can't see that great. Uh, you'll be looking at like this. I can make me. it out. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So 
Let me set that down. So, um, yep. Yes, we had told <laughs> we 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 had told uh yeah. hold we it up told, again, Shane. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There we go. That's better. It's better than my ugly mug. Yeah. I so I mean it. it here's the thing. Um, so we had told uh basically where we had heard this thing, uh circle up behind us. Uh James went out there and he was out gone probably a good hour and he came across this hand impression. Actually, two of them. The other one didn't turn out that great, but you could see where this thing you know, had, had basically, uh, it's, it's a really steep hill and it had basically pushed itself down. And I think maybe launched itself up the hill to circle around behind us. If indeed is what I'm looking at is, is a Sasquatch, you know, I'm, once again, I didn't see a Sasquatch make a hand impression, uh, but that is a hand impression. Yep. So anyways, Cliff came out and helped us cast that. We end up finding another partial hand impression by the bedding material, by the nesting material. And we find, uh, I think we casted four. The Todd Hill found a really good four, uh, track. And all these impressions in that area were about 14 inches, which I find interesting because that's the same size as Patty, right, Patter? And um, we, we we casted all those. And we just were really flabbergasted with the amount of destruction in this area. And I actually felt um, kind of guilty because it's what we literally walked in on something collecting this material from all around this area. And we broke it up and it did not come back. What we did find on the ground, once again, was piles and piles of huckleberry leaves where they've been plucked off the huckleberry and just put in a pile kind of like cone-shaped pile right. um and the nest uh which i assume that's what it was doing uh wasn't con completed and but it was all collected now uh one of the questions people ask me all the time is do you think sasquatch makes nests all the time why don't we find more nests and i i my my, my assumption my idea is that no i i personally think that uh, these nests are made for a birthing scenario. And I say that for a number of reasons. One, uh, there was actually a nest found in Bluff Creek in 1967 above Scorpion Creek by the name of, uh, by a guy named Lyle Laverty. Um, Daniel Perez interviewed him. And uh, this guy was a, uh, he worked for a timber company, <laughs> way off trail. This is, these aren't places where people are going to be hiking, right. exploring, or hunting. They're off trail. It's nasty brush, like in the area we're working right now, the huckleberry can be over nine feet tall. You can't see a few feet in front of you. You have to be careful because many times we've jumped bare. Uh, right. But once again, they take off. So these are these are very remote and hard to get to areas. And there have been nests found historically. Nine times out of ten, they're always found by somebody in the and, and working for the timber company and usually a timber surveyor. And so we now think that uh, these nests are being made mainly in the month of February, March whether they're made every year or every four years, because we just came across a brand new one in the making four years later. Uh, yep. But it also happens to coincide with good salmon runs in these, in these rivers. And the huckleberry up here is so amazing. It, I mean, it's, uh, it's so thick at certain times of the year and it, it'll actually survive a lot of frost. Uh, there's still huckleberry out there right now. I was just out in this general vicinity and there's still huckleberry to be plucked. And so, the reason I think this may be a birthing scenario is not just based on the size of the nest and the practice nest and all that. But uh, my good friend, uh, Wes Lim of Squatcher Metrics asked me, hey, said, hey, do you know there's a medicinal purpose, purpose with the huckleberry leaves? And I said, I never thought of that. And so lo and behold, the huckleberry leaves themselves, uh, they used to give them to women after childbirth to, with a mixture of sugar to regain their strength, to get their strength back. And I thought, well, you know, maybe, just maybe if this is Sasquatch related, you know, um, that maybe they're eating the huckleberry leaves after birth to regain their strength. And maybe that's why they're piled up. Or maybe right. the huckleberry leaves are just going to be tossed in the middle of the nest as a comfort thing. I don't know. It, you know, this is all speculation. Well, you know, we, we all know the squatches love to take advantage of anything they can eat. So who knows? That's pretty. Who knows? 
But, uh, you know, I, Mick had asked, uh, aside from the size of the nest, is there any corroborative evidence to indicate they're being used by Sasquatch as opposed to bears or ungulates? Well, I think you've answered that question with the, with the handprints. And uh, to me, especially the branches and the height. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, of where they've been snatched from. So that is really, truly an amazing find. That is awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, you know, flabbergasted by it actually. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now you had mentioned something about them taking, uh, the fingers and using them, using part of the finger, like as to kind of like possibly cover their, their, like they take one side of it, correct. And they kind of build around it. Now, the interesting thing is in, in 2000, in 2000, I had found, uh, off trail, a, uh, something really I thought was kind of interesting. And that was an overturned tree with a huge, big root that was, you know, probably about seven, eight feet tall. Oh, wow. And, and you know, it just came over, boom, tipped over. And uh, we have a lot of birch maple, uh, and oak, and this was a maple tree that had tipped over and, Built around it were these sticks, almost kind of like uh, leaned up against them, like, and including some birch. And there wasn't a birch tree within <laughs> like a hundred yards of it. So transported, so I, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. But the bars were just rocks, so it wasn't something that was going to be used as a hunting blind because it would have been uncomfortable as hell. But then again, I, I don't know how they, uh, it must've been maybe about five, six years later, uh, the Northern Sasquatch research, other part of the, the same area, maybe a couple of miles from where I was. And they found something very similar. It was embedded into the ground and everything was leaned up against it. And it included some stuff that had been transported. So when uh, the stream's locking up on me, Steve, I don't worry. It it just it's 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 cutting in and out, but it's very short lived. Um, uh, the cool thing is, in replay, this will not short out. (laughs) I I noticed that. I noticed (laughs) that too. Uh, when I download the episode, it actually records the entire thing. And, uh, uh, but what I believe, you know, you're looking at cultural differences. They're using mm. just like chimpanzees. They may use different, but the methodology is the same. They're using some natural resource mm-hmm. to help build some cover and, and use these things. And the, 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 obviously the substances they're using are different because they live in different geographical areas. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, the cultural thing is huge. And it's funny you mentioned that's something we've been looking into more and more. Um, I know, like I said, uh, Squatchometrics, he's, it's something with his data he's been compiling that he's really looking at the cultural stuff because look at chimps, for example, how they can be using some sort of tool in one area and, and, and a completely different tool in another, or have a different characteristics within their own little units. And b- before people attack me, I'm not saying Sasquatch is this, you know, chimp or, you know, uh, much, it's obviously much smarter and all that, but. Uh, there are similar characteristics uh, when and and in differences with the cultural thing, as you said, Steve. Yeah. Well, they're they're all primates, so yeah, primates yeah. 
to a to an extent have the, a lot of these commonalities. And you know, you don't think chimps are smart. They have a lot of forethought too. They problem solve outside the scope. They think about it. They have abstract thought. So, you know, and if a Sasquatch is even smarter than them, you know, and we don't see chimps using fire. We don't see them using advanced type of tools. But uh, you know, you think about a smart. Imagine a Sasquatch, because that's got to be, I, I'm always bet and hedge that they're closer to us. Yeah. And, uh, the, the cool thing is, and now I'm going to ask you uh, some questions too, uh, just your opinions. Uh, Tapetum lucidum, the mechanism in the eye which gives that eye shine and night vision. You know, what? what's your thoughts? If I, I think I caught the, the I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think I caught your question. Um, uh, you mean as far? Oh, I might missed it. Were you talking about bioluminescence or? No, no, I was talking oh, about the, the actual mechanism in their eye. The do they like? There's like twelve lower species of primates that have a tapetum, tapetum, mm -hmm. tapetum. Um, and and the funny thing is, is that their eyes in in natural light kind of almost look like a reddish brown, almost like it kind of gives them that reddish color. Do you think that a Sasquatch may have a tapetum? I, I, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a possibility for sure. I mean, there's so many reports out there that kind of show that that's, that's, that's likely, right. Which kind of separates it from a lot of uh, other things, obviously. Um, I, I definitely think that's a, a possibility uh, and maybe very likely. Yeah. Hey, Chris, take over for one quick second. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to check on something real quick. Yeah, man. I want to ask Shane anyway, on the, the nest location, Shane, where these things were found, uh, the ground, were they on level ground or was it on uh, the side of a hill, like a sloping location, or was it a combination of both? Um, it, there, so uh, the very end of these plateaus and fingers are where these things right. are located. So the quick escape route to go right down the, the, uh, the, the deep ravine there, yes. uh, which is pretty steep, but the generally speaking, pretty flat. Uh, I will say there's a little bit of decline on these uh, ridges, these fingers, right. the, uh, a little bit of a decline. I mean, it, it just, I've watched enough uh, National Geographic program stuff. It's so reminiscent of what gorillas doing where they place them, like right. the cross river gorilla. And if you look yeah. at some of those species, it's amazing where they build them and how they build them. They're very finicky. They got to be close to certain plants and water and this and that. Right. Um, these are an area where you, could, you can't sneak into this area. You could hear somebody calling a mile away through that brush because it's so thick. You can't sneak into this area. And as soon as um, I would imagine somebody walked in there, they, these things could just disappear really quick. If I was right. on, if I was running from the law or something, I couldn't think of a better spot. You, the, <laughs> the tree canopy. I remember Cliff Berkman brought one of his drones out, and it just wasn't going to happen. The, the canopy's yeah. too thick. The trees are too close together. Wasn't going to happen. That makes sense. <laughs> are you are you aware? Are they doing are they doing any sweeps for the eDNA now? Or is that something still on, on the table? It's still on the table. Um, we had done a little bit of that with uh, Dr. Meldrum, Meldrum had collected some samples for eDNA. We uh, yeah. sent them off to Todd Disatel. Uh, unfortunately, those samples were kept in a freezer for, you know, here we go again, right? Uh, uh, they were kept in a freezer a little bit too long, so they were degraded. Uh, a lot of known animals were found. There was um, human DNA found. Uh, we were very careful about collecting these samples, especially from a nest that we hadn't sampled or touched. Um, the, the, uh, the human aspect, you know, what percentage couldn't tell us. So it could have been, you know, like a chimp, it could have been 98.5 or nine. Right. So, I mean, uh, who knows? Uh, but we have many nests we haven't sampled from touched 
been around because we're very yeah. careful about this. That's why we brought Dr. Meldrum out because we wanted to collect this as properly as we could. Right. And we have other individuals that are experts in that field now that can do do it. So uh, I'm hoping down the road here, I'm hoping to get some samples set off. We have loads of hair and all that, but we've had hair looked at before uh, from Cindy Dosen of Homni Enigma out of uh, British Columbia and Dr. Meldrum in his lab have looked at them and they're, uh, some of these hairs are primate. They lack a medulla. Uh, they're uncut, un, untinted, but they do have a, a reddish uh, uh, pigment to them, which is very oh. common with a lot of Sasquatch sightings. Right. And yeah. uh, they range in size. Some of these hairs are, you know, uh, half inch to an inch, a little bit smaller. Um, I often say they're very, uh, well, I guess this is a, an adult show, pubic-like, uh, pubic right. hair-like in a right. lot of aspects, mm -hmm. which makes them very interesting because I can tell, I know what a elk hair looks like, a deer hair, a raccoon right. hair. In fact, one of the nests had um, raccoon hair in there. The funny thing was, uh, it was a dead raccoon when it was in the nest. And oh. that was interesting because in these areas, we found what is called witch's broom. And they're like a fungal growth up in the trees. Now, yeah. some of these nests in two different locations uh, had this fungal growth. Well, we actually paid a professional climber to go 90 plus feet up in the tree and, and inspect this. Because we thought maybe they were a tree nest, which they weren't. It was witch's broom. I, I figured that out. But they had raccoon trails going in and out of them. And because I'd taken a sample, I had him cut down some of this uh, witch's broom. Right. And there was raccoon hair, guard hair found in there. And I'm thinking, well, you got a nest right here. You got that fungal growth up top that right. raccoon's got to come out of that tree at some point in time and there happened to be dead raccoon hair in the nest so you yeah. know uh, maybe a snack i don't know <laughs> oh that's interesting let's see if we got any more questions over here uh let's see we got a ton going on here yeah i'm trying to figure out which one to which one to come up with well, we got uh, Sasquatch are smarter than chimps because they don't fling feces in the weird world. <laughs> that would be kind. Of, that would be kind of messy. Well, it ha hasn't happened yet, uh, but you know who knows. Uh, <laughs> Unless they poop rocks, I don't know. <laughs> oh, this is a good one from Mick. It says, uh, uh, "In view of some native Sasquatch folklore, yeah." that mention abductions of humans and the Albert Osman encounter do field researchers worry about being absconded by a Sasquatch. What do you think, Shane? You know, uh, it's, I think I respect all animals of woods cause we, you know, uh, I, uh, but like I bump into a lot of bear. We just do, it's just going to happen. There's so right. much bear up here um, and big bear. Um, there's, you know, we don't really have any wolves particularly in this area, but they're around and I respect, well, I respect all animals. I don't care right. if it's an elk or a deer, anything can kill you. You can disappear really easily from known animals. Sasquatch, it's a possibility. Do I fear it? Uh, no, I, I don't. Is it possible though? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. you know, uh, given the wrong circumstance, like you walk in on a mama bear and her cub, that could be a bad spot in between them. You might you often think what, what happens if you, you're out hiking and you just happen to see a little Sasquatch. Well, mama's probably not too far behind. That could be a bad spot to be in. I, you know, Absolutely. hypothetically speaking. So, yeah. you know, wrong place, wrong time. You get a, a male that's in, you know, maybe he's in heat, you know, when he's looking for, you know, and he just got this testosterone build up. That could be a bad spot to be in, whether it's a known animal or a Sasquatch. So I respect all of this stuff. And um, I, I take precautions as yeah. much as one can. You know, we're in cougar country. We we got so much cougar on our cameras. I I rarely, I, I think I've seen one cougar um, outside of a camera. They're all around. You just never see them. So right. it, it's just about 
being prepared in a healthy respect uh, and knowing that you're not the meanest, baddest thing in the woods. Yeah, you said something earlier, too, that I liked that before you went into the area, you would you familiarized yourself with the wildlife and what the sounds were. And uh, that that's something that's so important for people yep. to do, man. I, I can't stress that enough. Uh, that's so smart because, you know, otherwise, if you go out there in a strange area and you're not used to the wildlife there and you hear a noise, you're going to think oh, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> it'd, it'd, be like, it'd be like me coming out and, and visiting with you guys out in New York and then going out in the woods. I yeah. probably, I, I don't know half the animals out there, the sounds they can yeah. make, you know, that'd be ridiculous, you know, and uh, it's very important to get to know the fauna out in the area and the sounds right. and, exactly. and you got to spend years at it. Uh, Chris Spencer is a good friend of mine and, and he's been working one area for five, six years now and he can actually name the different coyotes. That's how familiar he is with them looking at the sounds visually. And uh, that's, there's something to be said about that because, you know, you walk into a room, I say this often, you you know, middle of the night, you're walking in a room and you stub your toe. You're going to make noises you did not know you're capable of making. <laughs> and so, and so I'm sure animals are the same way. They're out in the woods, yeah. they stub a toe or something. You may not recognize that sound regardless if you're familiar with it. So it's just about consistently recording and observing your known environments before you really come to any conclusions and rule. Yeah. You got to roll all that stuff out first. And yeah. there's... And there is a, a lot of resources on the web too. Before you go out, you know, right. look it up. I yep. just a just a little plug for, you know, SquatchTechnic.com. We do have an audio library that has yep. a lot of these sounds on there. You know, fox, coyote, you know, uh, raccoon. I uh, how long they've been up there. I forgot what I've got on there, but <laughs> I also have some some other primate sounds too. Baboons, gibbons, as well. Um, I hope you've got a. That uh, Strix Rufites, or what I call Strix Rufipes in Kentucky, uh, that's that owl that sounds like a, a chimpanzee. Uh, <laughs> oh. That's a real important one to know, and you got to check and see if that's in your area before you go into the woods, because you can go in the woods late at night and you hear, <laughs> you know, think, yeah. oh, oh my gosh, you know, it's a monkey. <laughs> you you want to hear something? You want to know something really cool? What's been going on around my house lately is. I'm so used to hearing barred owls, you know, right. Well, the other night I'm out, you know, let the dog out. He comes back in. I'm on the back, you know, freezing my tush off, but smoking a cigarette. And I hear, I go, that's not a barred owl. (laughs) What is that? What do we have here? You know, so I'm 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 dang curious to see what what kind of owl that is, but it was not in a barred owl. And if anybody has never heard a barred owl in their rut or their mate, they sound very primate like too. Yeah. Oh man, like a cackle. Uh, you, you know, up here we have the barred owls too. And if you get a group of them together, you you, you think you're at the zoo. I mean, just I mean, they got that little, and they're they're crazy up here. But if you're unfamiliar with that. Your man, your mind's gonna play tricks on you, right? Uh, along with the screech owl or the you know the uh, a cougar whistle or a you know a fox scream. I mean, they'll sound like a you know fox scream will sound like a, a, yeah. a woman in, dying. You know, it's yeah. crazy. I remember the first cougar whistle I ever heard. I remember I was at the bar and I heard. Oh man! Oh man! Oh Sorry, I had to do it. That was uh, good. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> Dave Winter asked, uh, "Where where is Shane living now? In a house?" 
I would, I would say that was safe, safe to assume. Uh, most of the time, I'm a lot of time in the woods. My wife actually is like, you going to come home? <laughs> no, I, Mason County up here in Washington State. It's on the Kitsap Peninsula. It's a beautiful area. I'm in the woods. And uh, yeah, I'm a very blessed man. I love it. <laughs> David also said he makes old people sound out there. <laughs> I wonder what they think of that. I love that. <laughs> David, David, do you sit down on a, a rock or, or a... Uh, <laughs> A stump or something, then get up. When you get up, you go, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Next says if you <laughs> hollering and barreling through the woods with a fatal oh. case of constipation. If oh, you that know. sounds deadly. That meatloaf. <laughs> um, <laughs> how we digress <laughs> but uh you know you got to understand animals have their own natural defenses i i think sasquatch is evasion humans we complain that's our <laughs> That'll do it. good point steve <laughs> we, we do winter <laughs> summer oh, dude shane got you got real loud here did your mic turn up or is it just me? Uh, hopefully it's just you. I haven't touched anything. Okay. 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 Yeah. He, he just leaned forward for a second like this. Okay, Sorry. That's what it was. That's what Hello. it was. Hello. Steve, Steve had me laughing. So I, I, yeah, I, I have, laughing. I have my big, you know, $6 headset here. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Chris, I, Chris, I saw a Chris comment had, about that earlier. Chris has the dollar store microphone and mine cuts out. <laughs> Figure that one out. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It was Rosie's. Rosie's. Not, or Roses. Roses. Yeah, Roses. Petunias. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, Dave said he's going to stand out there and shake my hand. Shake your cane. So somebody asked, asked a question, you know, uh, you know, okay. How are you moving forward with the the, the study of the Bigfoot nests? Uh, right now, we're just uh, we're compiling data because uh, uh, like we tell people all the time within Limb Project, we're not out necessarily to prove the existence of Sasquatch. We we just want to collect as much data because I I and I can speak for the the group. Uh, we do believe that there will be a point in time where Sasquatch is proven to exist, and uh, so we're just collecting as much data as we can. So that's what we're doing with the nest. Now, we're gonna be wrong. You know, to sit on something like this, whether it's Sasquatch or not, and I, I fully believe this is Sasquatch related. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I can live with that. I don't believe so. Um, well, you got to do something with this. And so, you know, we've been working with a lot of different uh, sciences, academic individuals, anthropologists, archaeologists, um, you know, zoologists uh, in, in formulating ideas and opinions, collecting stuff, uh, soil samples, um, hair samples the actual huckleberry themselves studying the, like I said, medicinal purposes. We're, we're coming at this from all sorts of fronts. And our goal is to find uh, actually the end of uh, February. Uh, I'm taking a, a small group out. We're going to be out for about a week in this area. We never camp in the actual nest areas. We camp a couple hundred yards away. We'd like to do our audio and stuff. We don't camp near this ravine. We camp uh, this, this time around, we're going to be camping a little bit closer. We're going to be a little bit further in the woods. And we're actually just going to be going out looking for, you know, the usual stuff, right? Uh, impressions and hair and, and, uh, and, and of course, more nests. We're hoping because our goal is predictability. Uh, we, we're, we're really thinking that these nests are made in the month of February and, and, and March um, for obvious reasons with the salmon runs and the, the other the ungulates in this area and everything else that's going on there. 
Um, maybe not every year, maybe it's every four years, maybe it's a cycle. Who knows? I mean, it's got a long-term experiment here. We don't know, but they are being made and it seems to be this time of year that they're made. So we're, we're about just collecting as much data, making, uh, discerning what patterns of predictability may be there or not there. Uh, and, um, and working with uh, certain academic individuals to see if we can come up with uh, an answer. You know, eDNA is a great way to go. Uh, I've been talking with, uh, Doug Hycheck, you know, of a monster, uh, uh monster quest fame. Uh, he's got some fantastic ideas. Uh, he's working on some really unique angles um, and just just a fantastic guy. Very smart guy, forward thinking. So, um, yeah, uh, we're just, you know, it's a play it by ear, data time here. But uh, we're constantly upping our game and and uh, bringing um, the right folks, I think, into the mix. N you know, nobody at OP is above anybody. We don't have egos. We're, we're simpletons in a lot of aspects, and I'm okay with that. I love, you know, what we do. I'm hoping that this is a... You know, I am a little bit shocked in some circumstances that more uh, academic individuals aren't looking at some of this stuff. Not just what the OP is doing, but with other individuals doing. There's tons, like you guys, there's tons of fantastic individuals out there in groups. But, man, uh, these nests are probably the most exciting thing I've ever worked on. And coming across, you know, one in the making and possibly uh, having an encounter, uh, which I never dreamed I would ever have again. Um, well, been, been around the block, seen a lot of stuff, heard a lot of stuff. Uh, but this for me was really special. So hopefully down the road, there'll be more updates uh, on this stuff. I don't, you know, playing it by ear, but uh, we keep a lot of this close to home. It, we don't try to sensationalize it more than it is. Um, and that's just, you know, we get, we get caught. I know you, Steve have been the same way. We get contacted all the time as an uh, organization for TV shows. And, and uh, I mean, all the time um, and very, very rarely, uh, do we do them anymore? Because, you know, they want rights to this. They, they, they want you to do this. And I, I, it's not, I don't, we don't need fame. We don't need any of that. Um, but working with certain individuals, you know, like Seth Breedlove came out and did something with us. I, I, the guy's a stellar human being. So that was, that was yeah. great. Um, and, uh, we'll see what happens down the road here with some other stuff. So, um, I'm hoping that, uh, down the road here, we'll get a few more individuals involved and, and get some, get some really solid answers as to what's going on out in these areas. I think Chris is doing the Yorkie roundup right now. So. Oh, yeah. I had to bribe my people here. Uh, <laughs> your people. We, we short, are short Yorkie people, and uh, if I don't give them snacks, uh, they start chewing the legs off my stool I'm sitting on <laughs> and chewing on each other. <laughs> we got a couple of uh, questions I want to throw out there. I don't think we've seen Kent on the show before. Welcome, oh, Kent. Kent. Yes, You're Kent's a good guy. He's got a, uh, a great question. Have you been back to the Tillamook Forest in the last year? Kent um, and Kent, Kent's a great guy. Kent's a great guy. He actually, he's one of the number one fossil finders out there, bar none. Uh, but anyways, um, Tillamook, no, I used to, you know, Tillamook's on the Oregon coast. Amazing area. We've had a lot of uh, amazing finds in that area. When I used to live in Oregon uh, from 2008 to 2017, I literally, Larry Turner, myself, uh, would be out there, I mean, weekly. And it's a good two-hour drive from our house, hour and a half. We'd be out there weekly, and we spent so much time recording stuff, and we had some very unique experiences out there. But I have not, can't answer your question, I've not been out there. I've been so tied up here in the Olympics uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but I do hope to get back down there. Um, I miss a lot of you guys, so. And and speaking of Seth, we just, uh, last year, fall, I was out with Seth, uh, uh uh doing the uh on the trail of bigfoot part two trailer so that that was a lot Fantastic. of fantastic yeah what a good yeah. guy yep as well as uh, a couple of my team guys ted 
and uh, Mike, Mike Ann, and uh, you know Tack and uh, Fred Sinek out from uh, Massachusetts. Uh, another question for Mick Shane: Have you heard or recorded any particular interesting audio in the last several months, and has it been analyzed? If so. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, in the last several months. Um, yes. Uh, actually in Southern Washington, <laughs> we had, a we had a, a crazy experience. Uh, I'm going to be talking about this on my podcast, podcast monster X radio, uh, where we actually had a tree come down close to camp after some gnar- quite a gnarly experience. Um, in the nest site, I, I, I recorded many, many hours of stuff with the help of Chris Spencer. Um, I could place audio out there for up to a month. Uh, that record continue well not continuously it comes on between six and nine and it'll end like nine in the morning sort of thing but we've recorded some amazing i think amazing audio pieces and they have been visually analyzed uh between chris spencer myself uh david ellis specifically david ellis of the olympic project he uses a spectrogram um you know like sonic visualizer and he uses audacity so he's not just listening to the audio he's looking at it and comparing a lot of those known sounds or unknown sounds or the suspicious stuff to his catalog and library, but also the Macaulay Library of Sounds. And so, uh, yeah, we got some really cool, I mean, I, I think some really unique uh, audio recordings from the nest areas that just kind of help paint a picture of what, you know, what's going on out there. Pretty cool stuff. Nice. Uh, Gudgeon? Yeah. Yeah. Have you found any handprint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We covered that a little earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Shane, if it's handy, you want to show that handprint one more time for? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on one second. There. And this isn't. This is a. a, a Cliff has the. Cliff Oops. Berkman has the original. Hang on, we're trying to uh, yeah. fix the screen. Uh, to where I'm not big. And uh, let me just try this. Yeah, go ahead. Put it, put it right out. There we are. Yeah, it's not. It, it's I wouldn't say it's like the largest hand. It's definitely not. Um, but it's it's interesting. Um, I there's no like you know if anybody else I couldn't find any dermal roots or anything like that. Uh, yeah. Cliff Berrickman has the original. Uh, he casted it. Um, he's given me copy. So this is a copy. Um, how big are the dimensions he was trying to? Oh make? shoot. Um, I have it written down off the top of my head, and you'll have to forgive me. I do not know. But uh, let me see if I can. I don't trying to. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. Good, I mean, pretty good size fingers. Yeah. Those it is it, very good size fingers. This was found on a slope. Uh, Cliff actually used about 15 pounds of plaster to cast this. He had to, wow. it wasn't, it wasn't like this. It was, you know, ginormous. Right. Um, it was yeah. on a slope and he, he did and this. this is nowhere. Yeah. That, that's the amazing thing. It's not like, uh, oh, it's, it's, there's no trailer. I mean, uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. People, oh, it's a human out. You know, may, maybe it, I don't see how that's even possible, but, you know, I, I did not see a Sasquatch make that hand impression. All I know is that that's the general direction that Todd Hale and I, where we're out there, heard this thing walk. And then it went up behind us up on this hill and it sat there for a while um, and tried to, you know, we were a little spooked out. I'll be honest with you. Um, when you can't see a couple of feet in front of you. You know, and you you don't know if you're dealing with a bear or something else. So, yeah, you're gonna be a little wary. And I just never had something other than a cougar per se circle up behind me. <laughs> this was a big, large, in charge, and yeah, so very cool. Nice. Now, quite another question: Do you think a Sasquatch can see in the infrared, which may explain why we're not getting trail cam pictures, a lot of them, or perhaps they hear something in the mechanisms? You know what? I I don't have a lot to. Con- I don't know. It's it's a it's a possibility. Um, 
you know, I'm really, I don't know. Uh, I, I really do believe this though. I really believe, you know, like up here in, uh, up here in Washington, you know, there are a lot of trail cameras out there, but you're trying to get something like that's a moving needle in a haystack. And you know, the cliche, Oh, you put a picture frame, you know, someone puts a picture up in your house and you notice it. I, th- I think Sasquatch notices this stuff. What I've really focused in on lately is okay. Okay. Say they do say they can smell it, hear it, whatever. Where is the best place to put these things? And I, I often say it's got to be near a creek or a river. How many times have you heard a report, Steve, or read a report yep. where someone's walking along a river and there's a Sasquatch doing something in the river or someone's fishing and here comes a Sasquatch? It's almost like they're both surprised. Both parties are like, whoa, there's a human. Oh, there's a Sasquatch. Yeah. What's going on with that? Well, you got noise from the river. You got different smells along a river. And I often, not that you put a camera right on a game camera right on the river, but place it really close. I think it'll help cover the noise. It'll help cover the smell. Um, now, infrared, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a, it's another possibility. I just think there's just not as many cameras out there as people like to believe. And it, it's kind of arrogant to say, oh, I'm going to go put a camera out there. And, oh, I haven't got a Sasquatch on camera. Um, they must see it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I, I think they're just like needles in a haystack, really. And you, know, you put a camera out, and you're covering this amount of area. And hopefully you'll it's yeah coming out, too. Um, what, one other thing quick. So I do actually, so from in 2000, um, the beginning of 2017, when I moved up to Washington, I stayed in my travel trailer on a buddy's property that was a few air miles away from the nest site, basically. Well, a little bit more than that. Um, I, he said to use this property because, well, one, I needed a place to stay in my trailer until my house foreclosed. Uh, but there was a logging gate that two different loggers, uh, within a couple of ma- months of each other had seen, uh, a fa- what they would call a family unit of Sasquatch walking by this gate or near that area. So I camped out there and what I did was I put game cameras on my travel trailer itself. Uh, not So they wouldn't stick out. They looked like a part of the vehicle. Well, um, for weeks, for two weeks, I was out there for about a month. But for the first two weeks, I was getting all the usual suspects, raccoons, deer, coyotes, you name it. One night, my wife woke me up because I left the cooler outside and the cooler I could hear, you know, she woke me up and said, listen, I hear the ice shuffling around the cooler. I'm like, oh, crap, a bear. And I left the cooler outside. I, I get up, I open the door up, I look around, I don't see anything, nothing. The cooler looked like it had been shifted. I'm like, eh, it's gone. I'm tired, I'm going back to bed. If it gets up, I'll go out and shoo it off. Next morning, I wake up, I check my game cameras. The game camera that was on my wheel well on the right side, something had triggered it, but there was nothing on it. The one on the bumper of my travel trailer caught a bipedal figure walking by. Now, it was really close to, to uh, the, the camera. It was um, a wild game innovation, an older camera, no sound. But it was really close, but it's clearly bipedal. Whatever it is, I've done recreations, and this thing's much bigger than me. We're talking about the month of February. It's about 28 degrees, and this was about 2 o'clock in the morning in a remote area. Uh, you know, and it's not bare. Uh, this not thing moves bad. too fluid. You can see an arm. You know, it, the uh, actually, when, when the arm comes by the camera, it looks like a triangle shape because just the pixelation and the, the movement. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing, and my arm looks the same, but much smaller. This thing's massive. So. You can get stuff on game cameras. You just got to be smarter. Right. And, 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 and honestly, just be absolutely freaking lucky. I mean, it's just that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've deployed so many trail cameras over the years. I haven't even gotten a deer on one. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you yep. Know? And then there's, there's 3 million deer in New York state. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, um, okay. Another next question uh, five, from Timmy boy. Good to see you. Timmy boy again. Do you think Bigfoot in your area are more likely to come to you at camp? Seems we get less interaction walking around doing knocks and calls. 
Well, that's another good question. Um, I I think, you know, if you're camping in an area and they're interested or, you know, uh, I mean, humans, you know, we can be very unpredictable, but when we're camping, we're pretty predictable. Uh, I, I personally, I don't do a whole lot of calls or knocks at all. What I do is I, I do a lot of daytime traversing. I like to make myself known. That means covering a lot of ground off trail. I'm trying to basically at night when I'm camping, I'm trying to track something back to my, 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 my camp spot. That's all I want because I can therm it. Um, I don't do a whole lot of night walks anymore. Um, I think if something's, you know, go back to my encounter in 2011, uh, that really shifted my opinion on a lot of things. You know, we were chopping wood, which sounds like a knock. We were making noise. We were laughing and, you know, just being obnoxious. And yeah, that, 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 yeah. That, I, I mean, I, I get my sighting. We were all sitting around the fire. There you go. Have, have a hoot, hoot and holler. And guess what? I decide to go out to my car. And I'm going to just shine my light up this way. Well, everybody's at the camp, big blazing fire. It's October. There's no leaves on the trees. So you can clearly see the fire from the road, the dirt road, Shine it the other way. And there it is watching the camp. Yeah. Barcatino. Oh, yeah. Barcatino, the same thing uh, up in an area with, he was out with, uh, I think Tom Yamron and, and Cliff Berkman years and years ago, his first sighting up here in Washington. Uh, same thing. He left the camp. They're all by the campfire and he just, he went to go take a leak. He gets back, grabs his therm, and starts therming. And there's the Sasquatch watching the camp. So, yeah. Yeah. Every, you're hitting, I mean, uh, my uh, 2013 got a therm of one we believe was one walking along the uh, a, a tributary that goes between the Pulteney River and East Bay and up near Whitehall. Bam. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's this thing. Yeah, it's 930 at night. It's October, September, October. It's pitch black out. And there's something we, we can't hear it. We can't even see it, but we therm it and there it is walking. Wow. Yeah. And then yeah. into the woods and there's no light. We went up to where the road is. It would have to climb up a, a 40 degree embankment and nothing. We went out there, nothing zip. So, uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Mick's got another question. I've heard you describe the visual method of examining recorded audio waves on monster X radio. Can you elaborate for those who aren't familiar with that? It can reveal more than what humans can hear. Yeah. I mean, it does take practice. Like with Sonic, there's other programs out there. You know, you could use Audacity, which is, and Audacity and Sonic Visual Eye are both free programs. But basically, you're looking at a spectrograph and you're um, basically listening. Because um, sometimes, you know, even on these spectrographs uh, or spectrograms, you'll miss stuff that your ear will pick up. So I use a little bit of both. Um, as you get more familiar with it, you can start looking at the different frequencies and you kind of key on certain ranges and certain sounds, you know, like a lot of animals like barred owl. I mean, a lot of them, they had their own signature. Like yeah. my voice has a signature, Steve, your voice, Chris, your voice, they have signatures. Um, and so you can start, if you look at the stuff long enough, you'll start to realize, okay, that's a, a frog. That's a cricket. Yeah. That's a, a coyote. That's a, a crow. Um, and so you could visually look at this stuff and these are free programs. You do want to become familiar with them. You want to go through some tutorials, uh, and there's lots of them on on YouTube. Uh, but they they will a lot of times you don't hear something, but you'll see it on Sonic Visualizer, and then you can blow it up, extract it, play around with it during the different features, and you'll be amazed at you know. And then you can in a lot of cases you can kind of gauge a distance as to where or direction depending on where your audio was at. That's why I like to play no no less than three audio recorders out when I'm out. I like at least three. Then I can kind of triangulate an area, but Sonic Visualizer, you can really—it's it, neat. You're like, I didn't, 
I, I don't hear it, but I can see it. And then you can blow it up, amp it up. And you got to be careful with that too. You can't, you it can distort stuff. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, but yes, uh, I, I highly re recommend if um, you're into recording, audio recording, I use Tascams, DRL5s and, and a few others, Edoroyals and, and a few other recorders. But the one thing about Tascam that's really cool is that you can, you can record in 28 in, uh, in, increments, segments. Uh, it'll continuously record, but it'll break it up. And so it's easy to vet and upload into those programs. Um, and it, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And you can cover a lot more audio quickly by looking at it than just listening. I mean, I remember those days where I would record for you know a couple of nights and I'd sit there and listen. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward, listen. Uh, it, looking at it is so much simpler. So, so much easier than using tape. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the good old days you used to use a tape recording. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Here's yeah. a, you know, an interesting thing um, is that, you know, I've done that for so many years on, on Audacity and stuff like that. And after a while, it's kind of funny because I, I do some paranormal stuff now. And I was just a, a, a natural at putting it in there because I know what people's signatures look like. And then all of a sudden I see this little thing on, wait a minute, let's look right here. And sure enough, there's, bam, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but the other kick is, uh, if you little money, uh, one of the neat programs, uh, that I use is, uh, uh, video pad and audio pad. And the nice thing, make a copy of the video and you can take, the copy of the video and you can actually split the audio track. It pops it up into the audio. You can enhance it and then put it back in the video in the exact same place. Wow. Which Very is cool. really cool. So if you have Very a cool. section that you need to amplify, you always keep the original, of course, but right. Um, Very cool. So that, that's kind of a cool, I think they're like $60 or $70 or And I also use to, like, people ask me, like, some of the uh, the Pridgen film or the New York Baby video, it, people talk about a lot of those enhancements I did using a video pad because you can zoom in and then it actually gives you a nice, a fairly crisp zoom in. So, oh, badass. Um, so it works really well. And then there's a free version if you want to use it on, like, a tablet or something like that. And you can just pop it on there and do the same thing. And that's a free version. So. I don't know why the tablet stuff and the phone stuff is free. Anyway, <laughs> um, so what's next? What, what, I mean, uh, I know you're still breaking stuff now. What are you, what are your plans for 2021? Provided that <laughs> you know we're not wearing masks by the end of the year. Uh, <clears throat> you know, at, at this point in time, uh, I I I I've been trying not to make too many. Uh, plants because <laughs> uh you know it's uh 21 or you know this year it's like holding my beer sort of set up with 2020 i uh, i don't know I, I have i do have a lot of plans uh, like i said at the end of this month we're gonna be doing a, a week-long excursion um and but i'm out you know where i, I moved up to washington specifically to to <clears throat> continue with the research um making headway and working with individuals being close to the olympics uh from where i live it's about a two-hour drive <clears throat> not that far course hiking time and all that so my goal down the road here is to uh just continue plugging away with this finding newer nests um and uh like just before the show i was chatting with you guys i just got back from and uh, checking out some area that this guy found these impressions at and they're they're interesting they're interesting impressions um so 
just doing that sort of thing. I do have a couple of speaking engagements. You know, they got one in Ohio uh, tentatively in May. Uh, who knows? I don't, you know, I'm yeah, fingers crossed that happens. Uh, but that's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Who, who knows? Uh, so I'm not trying to make a whole lot of plans other than uh, I'm very lucky. I can get out to the woods and I can get out to the woods really quick. And there's a lot of opportunities to record audio and, and do stuff of that nature and work with the, the friends and family I have here built up. Um, I'm just not, I'm trying to live every day, uh, you know, as it, as it comes at me, it's just like everybody else, you know? And so, uh, I just, you know, Hey, if you can get out of the woods, get out in the woods or just make yourself a lot happier and turn, you know, quit paying attention to the news. Cause that'll drive you nuts. One of the, uh, one of the things that kind of struck a chord with me about just hanging out in camp and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, I went to an area and I would go there six times a year. Um, and I did it pretty straight for like 15 years and a lot, and a lot of times there would be nothing, sudden. uh, things would start to happen. Um, and one of the things I always did after a while, and I, and I think, I think they have some kind of thought, whether or not a person, a particular person, I mean, primates can recognize different primates. So you know, they, they, if they see me all the time, okay, I know that person. I know they're not going to do nothing. Um, they may see Chris Bennett and go, uh Oh, we're going to get out of here before he kicks a Yorkie. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and Chris, you're on mute just to let you know. Um, yeah, I, I did that on purpose, Steve, because I'm having a little bit of a revolt here. Uh, <laughs> they're, uh, they're really barking. Uh, maybe they'll calm down in a few minutes. I'm trying to save you guys ears. <laughs> um, but what I what I would always do is after a while when I got there, I would just let out about three or four whoops, almost like, hey, it's me, I'm back. Set my camp up, do stuff. And at night, stuff would start to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, especially around the dusk hours, things would start happening. Right. And <laughs> it got to the point where um I was like 2011, there was like we could hear three different approaches coming. <laughs> and uh, then a couple of years later, there was only two, but it, it was what the weirdest thing was my, my, uh, I went down the, the field with another, uh, down the road with another field researcher and we could hear us being paralleled on both sides of the road. And that was kind of freaky. So we came back. He's a hunter. He does all that stuff. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I wasn't quick enough on the mute button there. Stop kicking that dog. Uh, anyway, um, so I sent him down with a couple other to them. They're like, yeah, we came back. Something's following us on both sides of the... And, and you know, the, the amazing thing is animals would do that. And, right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's not a deer. A deer go the other way. A bear go the other way. So, and those are the three main animals in uh, that particular area of the woods. And maybe once, once we saw a fox, but we never really hear any fox or anything. So it's like the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you get any kind of escorts or any kind of stuff like that where you you're being followed or anything? Uh. That, 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 uh, our time out in the nest there, especially with Todd Hale and I, yeah, we definitely had that feeling and heard, you know, I think circle up behind us. I know when I was specifically down in the, like the Tillamook area, 
we had a few strange experiences like that. Like something was paralleling us. In fact, uh, Gunnar Monson and, and, and uh, Larry Turner, um, both OP members, they were down there one time and they had uh, just that sort of very scenario uh, where, but they were also getting like this. Uh, uh, there was like a, almost like a vibration, like a, it's hard to explain. They have it recorded. And it's the, one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. Uh, it's almost like a chest thing, uh, like a guttural thing, but it's following them. And it's, it's basically walking. It sounded like it was walking them out and they were, they were pretty freaked out. So occasionally, yes, I've had a few experiences like that. And, and, and then you can hit that wall too. You're like, Oh, I just, you just got to turn around. You just, just yeah. go. And my philosophy and, and yeah, escorting people out and kind of intimidating. And to me, that was always a sign that, Hey, you're in the right area mm. because the only time primates do that is if they're in their territory, you're invading their home. So if you can find that sweet spot where you're not invading that home, but peak that curiosity, like set up a camp. Yeah. That's when you're going to start getting <laughs> all that fun. Uh, Timmy boy, got another question too. It's a general question. What would provoke a Bigfoot to attack you? I asked because you, uh, you hear are all supposed, uh, all these supposed attacks on people are just camping. It seems weird to the mother and her young. And uh, I'll start off by saying, yeah, I, I, uh, my research, I, I mean, I did a lot of primate behavior research and species rarely attack primates of other species. It can happen. There are some cultural differences where that may happen. Like there are some chimps that will attack other primates. There are just like there are some, uh, some, you know, tribes or cultural differences where they eat monkey or they wear. Offended. That's our primate instinct right there. When we see a dead primate, it's like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. um, and you're right. I think these supposed attacks are kind of weird on people just camping. Um, even if you, you plop down in their territory, they may get a little gnarly, uh, try to get you out. But I don't see them attacking people necessarily um, unless they're being provoked in some manner that, you know, was never said. But, Shane? Yeah, I mean, I... I pretty much covered it there, Steve. I mean, uh, one of the other things I'll mention, I mean, I think those attacks are rare. I, if anything else, it's maybe just intimidation, you know, to get, get the heck out of mm -hmm. here. Like I, what I think happened with me personally. Um, I think sometimes, uh, I, I did, uh, uh, I, I talked to this individual who was camping in an area of the Gimpert Pinchot up here in Washington and they were out, you know, young guys, 18, this many years ago, we're out in an area camping for about, uh, they were going to camp for like eight nights. They ended up doing like six because they basically got chased out. But I think they just kind of, Oh, they weren't being predictable uh, because they were, uh, you know, most people camp one, two, three days. We're talking about a, a, a logging road, remote area. They were stayed there. Welcome. And they were, I mean, I got the audio in hand. It's pretty, pretty gnarly. Um, they were basically forced out of there. So I think um, being attacked, I mean, I, 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 I not, not many people get attacked, but they may get intimidated. And so intimidation. Yeah. I mean, bears, yeah. you know, a lot of times a bear will bluff charge you. You know, and it's a, it's all intimidation. Look at what's that video with that cougar chasing that guy with the cell phone down the road when it came up. <laughs> yeah, and that cat was just intimidating. It if we wanted to attack him, that guy would have been on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. get out of here. You know, that's all. It was, it's intimidation. So a lot of people look at it and go, "Oh, that guy was attacked." No, no, <laughs> if he was attacked. He would have known about it. He was intimidated. Get the heck out of here. Nope. Yeah. So I always carry a stake in your backpack. There you go. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> or a slow friend. Yeah, I, I bet you that cat will go, well, pfft, 
Hell, it's scaring him. I'm going to take off with the beef. Um, <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah. So, X. Uh, I know you mentioned squat, squatch metrics or squatcher metrics and the Olympic project in the zoo book. Books where, you know. Sorry, sorry uh -oh. Steve, I, I lost you there, Steve. I yeah, I, I think everything went kind of dead there for a second. It cut out a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> do you want to uh, throw out some sites that uh, some of the stuff has been like? Uh, is, is it squatchermetrics.com or, um, no squatchermetrics. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not my thing, but I highly yeah. recommend squatchermetrics for data. Uh, in fact, a lot of people would be out there listening. If you have questions about certain areas and certain data points, reach out to squatchermetrics. He's on Facebook and Instagram. He's working on some other stuff. He's actually putting some books together. Um, and it's just data oriented. He's, a uh, he's got a quite the background, uh, for data. And so he, it's the, the Sasquatch ups a shoe shoehorn for him um and actually he doesn't even live in the states here but he comes to the states quite often uh, not covid recently uh, apparently but uh um monster x radio um Ooh. we're gonna be we're gonna be pumping out a lot more shows here in fact i had steve on the show years and years ago it was one of my favorite shows and we can find uh, us on uh, limitproject.com uh which is uh, we're really actively updating that website we kind of let it go stagnant but we're trying to keep people um um interested in what we're doing and but also just kind of sharing some stuff a lot of people ask us questions and so olympproject.com monster x radio obviously i'm with uh i'm working with project zoo book um i'm a core member on there as well so just a lot of cool exciting stuff and if you're interested reach out to me and and uh but uh you know i, I really uh really appreciate you know chris steve you guys having me on the show i'm, I'm a big fan of the show and and you guys and, and steve definitely a lot of the stuff you've done over the years big fan oh thank you um the last question i have does your wife tolerate all this involvement in Bigfoot very well? Yeah. You know, that's a, I'll tell you what, if you don't have a good woman by your side, uh, you're probably in a lot of trouble because I, I do spend an ungodly amount of time in the woods. Um, I, I, I do, uh, both camping and hiking and exploring. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I have a, a wonderful, amazing wife that puts up with me, uh, both in you know, putting me buying stuff, <laughs> spending gas money, batteries, and buying new equipment, and uh, time out in the Which woods. This and Amazon box in here. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, no, very, I'm very lucky. But I'm, I'm fortunate because uh, she does get out and camp with me periodically. My nine year old, my daughter, she's amazing. She's, she'd rather, you know, we have a travel trailer, but she's like me. We'd rather be in a tent. And so, um, yeah, very lucky that way. And she does put up with me, fortunately. <laughs> awesome um any any last questions from you chris oh uh that's it steve uh, i'm gonna have to mute out again uh, any second now but uh, i'm sorry uh for the the yorkie uh, interruptions but uh they got a little excited here i think we had a visitor <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they always let you know when somebody's here regardless whether you want them to or not <laughs> But or regardless I, of whether you want the person there or not. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did like Kite's uh, suggestion there. It said, "How to get attacked by a squatch?" Chris, take all your Yorkies out into the woods. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably get some DNA evidence from the ankles. <laughs> Either that, or the squatchers are like, "We're out of here." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But, but uh, anyway, I, yeah. Before we go, I I, I want to thank Shane for coming on. It's been an honor having you here, buddy. Oh. You've been a, a super guest, man, and I uh, appreciate it, buddy. 
And uh, I'd like to thank all the audience. Oh my gosh, you guys had so many great questions. Uh, it, this show was only possible with your help. I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, if you're on, watching this on YouTube for the first time, please hit like, subscribe, share, ring the bell, whatever. Uh, Sharing is caring. Yeah, it helps us uh, with the algorithm and it helps us better uh, rank better in the search. So uh, thank you. Appreciate it. That's right. And of course, like I said, we we love all you guys out there, our audience, because we got the one of the smartest audience out there. Oh yeah, great sense of humor. We always have a good time. Um, you know, so you know we you know we usually start the show off. A we got into it real real good tonight, and that's to the man you see down there mr shane corson great guest host of monster x radio you got to check that show out as well um and you'll find it and subscribe to it listen to it you know take it all in because this is the real stuff this is people going out seeing sasquatch every day and talking to them and and uh you know communing with them and making bad political predictions and <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a whole backstory to that too, but I'm not going there. Uh oh, Mick asked, what about the diet peach snapple? Well, for now <laughs> we'll have to drink up next week. In fact, I'm actually got a whole jug of di uh, of uh, peach mango snapple. <laughs> or not peach mango snapple, but peach mango tea. So but uh running jokey. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, um, as always, I want to thank everybody for coming in. Everybody a healthy and safe week. God bless. And, of course, keep on squatching. We'll see you all here next week, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. if you're on the West Coast. And uh, who the hell knows what uh, mountain time is. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, we'll guys. We'll catch you all next week, friends, and uh... hey, folks! You've been watching Squatch D TV. Join us each week, Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, for the latest on the Bigfoot mystery. As always, we thank you for being our loyal viewers and encourage all to subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Steve Culls. As always, have a great week. Stay safe. God bless. And keep on squatching.